You're listening to the Transcend Podcast. I'm your host, Asha Wilkerson, an attorney by training and an educator at heart. This podcast is all about empowering you to build a business and leave a legacy. Here's the thing. The wealth gap in America is consistently increasing. And while full-time entrepreneurship is not for everyone, even a side hustle can change your financial landscape if you're intentional about using your business to build wealth. I've run my own law firm for over 10 years. And in that time, I've helped countless California businesses go from idea to six figures. On this podcast, we talk about what it truly takes to build a sustainable business and find financial freedom. Let's dive in. Hey, y'all, welcome back to another episode of Transcend the Podcast. As usual, I'm so grateful that you're here, and I cannot wait for you to listen to this upcoming conversation that I had with Evie Prete. Now, Evie is a coach for BIPOC individuals who need to negotiate their salaries, and although we are often talking to entrepreneurs, the skills that she talks about developing with her coaching clients are directly transferable to really any area of life. And I also know that a lot of you listening are also still employees thinking about launching your entrepreneurship business, gig, hustle, whatever you want to call it, or are already have already launched your own business and are still working. So I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode. Definitely take notes at the end, look for where you can follow Evie and just soak up all this goodness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Transcend the Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to have a guest with me, Evie Prete, who is La Mala Mujer on Instagram. Welcome, Evie. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Of course, of course. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah, so I actually uh, have a coaching business where I help Black and indig- BIPOC people negotiate their salaries. So especially, um, especially women. I mean, It is Women's History Month this month and, you know, equal pay day is coming up. And it's a reoccurring theme that like you see all the stats every year. And last year I decided to like do something about it. I was like, okay, like we're going to get into it. I'm so excited. But um, this is kind of like where I've taken a pain point in my life, learned from it, reiterated something that really worked for me and then teaching people to execute really great uh, negotiation Uh, strategies. Yeah, no, I love that. So since I can see the passion in that in your story, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and like the things that you've had to negotiate for? Yeah, so I'm like first gen Latina. So like when I I didn't really have anyone to show me the ropes, you know, many people like we're kind of the first in our family to like navigate corporate life and things like that. So when I first started out, I was offered my job and I almost felt like grateful as in like wow like I should just take this like they're gonna pay me oh my gosh right right I get that I get that yeah and it's you know it's very common among people who are like first in their families to like be on this trajectory so I took my first salary without negotiating because one I didn't know I even could I didn't even know that was a conversation that people had and about I want to say like maybe a year or a year and a half into the role is kind of when I started to look into what someone gets paid in my role. And I found that I was getting paid very little compared to my white male colleagues. And, you know, so that was, you know, it was like an interesting experience. It was painful. There's lots of emotions, lots of like imposter syndrome, lots of like, am I good enough? All, All these feelings, right? Attached to this number that I realized that 
you know, my salary and that huge pay discrepancy. So then that's kind of what started my investigation and learning on how to negotiate. My first negotiation did not go very good. And I'm going to, I'll definitely dive into like why it didn't go well. But so I negotiated, didn't go very well. And then I decided to like look for opportunities elsewhere. And that's when I negotiated almost very close to doubling my salary. Yeah. And after that, I like made sure to negotiate every single step between jobs, but also like even at my current role. And for a little context, I'm an engineer. So in my role, I was so used to quantifying, you know, like cost savings and yeah, the data, right? Yeah, data and justification for buying new equipment. So I kind of use that background to justify like, hey, like why and how I quantify like my value and why I should get, you know, a raise, why I merit a raise. So um, yeah, I kind of took that painful experience and then kind of just learned from it. And I'm now teaching people how to negotiate their salaries like a boss. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think, you know, what you said about first gen children learning how to negotiate, but also like in the African American community, we have that same thing, right? My mom was a pioneer just in the generation that she was born. And I remember she and my uncle were having this conversation. My uncle was so proud that he never took a day off work. Like I never took a day. Even when I was sick, I would go in, right? And I'm like, that's cool. But like, what is that? Or even when I'm having discussions with my mom about, you know, she was a career educator. And I also work in education now, as well as doing this, this legal thing. <laughs> and we'll have conversations and she's like, well, you got to be careful because you got to keep your job, right? There is this fear, this sense of gratitude, one, that we even have the job because historically we couldn't get jobs like engineers and doctors and attorneys and things like that outside of these segregated communities. But then there's also this fear of, I'm lucky to be here, so let me not do anything to mess this up. And I wonder, I mean, I know that it's it's in the Latinx community, it's also in the Black community. And I'm, I'm curious, like in other immigrant groups, if that's the same thing, or does it just depend on the, the context in which people... I guess, arrive to the present situation. And that's, that's not a question I'm expecting you to answer, but just thinking out loud about that, for sure. No, absolutely. I think it's so interesting how like, we're all like dealing with these generational shifts, right? And we're all kind of approaching them from different experiences, but they're very also so similar and overlapping, right? So yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's why it's important to have conversations. And part of the reason why I have the podcast too, is because the cultures are different, but a lot of the experiences are quite similar. You know, so I think that's important because, you know, find your niche and get in and get that support and create the life that you want. So, yeah. So how do you coach individuals on negotiating their salary? And so we're we're talking to entrepreneurs, but the skills are transferable, right? Whether you're negotiating a salary with an employer or negotiating for a contract to be a presenter or, you know, a bid in some other sense. But what are those skills that you found are important to be able to do this? Yeah. First off, like when I coach my clients who are usually working in the nine to five and a lot of entrepreneurs are like doing both, right? They're, you know, working in their nine to five and then also hustling on the side. So the way I like to approach it is like negotiating at work is literally going to help with your business and like put that extra money into your business. So that's something I love to tell people when they're like wondering whether they should negotiate or not. I'm like, hey, listen, like this can help fund your side hustle. Absolutely. But one thing is I always start with mindset, which is like very different than I think most people. I focus heavily on the first two weeks are literally just mindset. I focus on limiting beliefs and how those impact our decisions with money and then also boundaries. And 
The limiting beliefs, like I really take a lot of time there because as an entrepreneur, as entrepreneurs in general, you know, when we're new in spaces, it's so the imposter syndrome, like our thoughts can be very difficult, right? Because I think when you are pushing yourself into new spaces or challenging yourself into like something unknown, we tend to have fear. Like fear is like kind of the underlying feeling that we may feel in new experiences. So we focus on understanding that we didn't choose our limiting beliefs. Our experiences as kids growing up, even in our career or college or whatever path you were on, anything that happened in your experience sometimes leaves lasting impressions and sometimes they're negative, right? And what I share is like, I grew up seeing eviction notices like on our door pretty often and, and seeing my parents argue about money pretty often. And so I grew up low income and, you know, I started to, as a kid, like nine years old, trying to understand the world, I'm starting to internalize like these things, my external environment, which are like money is hard to make, like money causes problems, money causes confrontation. And, you know, I internalize these things as a child and it wasn't until literally my late 20s, early 30s that I started challenging those beliefs, right? Because, and what I love to tell my clients is like, those limiting, those beliefs served you at some point. They served you, they were trying to protect you, right? Absolutely. And like, but now it's like, they don't serve us anymore. And it's, it's important to like acknowledge that, to like think those beliefs for protecting us when they did. And then we get to choose the beliefs that are going to help us on our journey, whether it's entrepreneurship or in your nine to five, right? So I focus a lot of time there before we even get into strategies. And I can definitely talk about some strategy if you want me to dive into that as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think it is important to acknowledge because a lot of times we feel like, or I'll speak for myself, I'll use I statements for this, right? Like I feel like when I've gotten to a different point and I realize that there's a belief that I have that no longer serves, sometimes I'll, oh, Asha, you were just holding yourself back. Like I'll do this kind of beat up thing, you know, where I'm like, oh, you should have known better. You know, why would you even internalize it? But it is important to recognize that our brains are hardwired to keep us safe. And so these lessons that we've learned along the way, whether we've learned them from the environment or someone has told them to us, you're absolutely right. They have served a purpose. And it's important to recognize when they are no longer serving that purpose because we're not in the same situation or the advice is outdated or you're in a new situation where that advice just isn't applicable. So I think to acknowledge that without judgment and go, okay, brain, okay, you know, thank you. I really appreciate, I love you for keeping me safe. Now we're going to create some new thoughts in order to move forward. Yes, absolutely. I love that. It's like really removing that like shame or judgment because they did serve us at some point, right? And they did keep us safe and keep us, you know, like, yeah. So I, I, I love that. Thank you so much. And I think as an entrepreneur, that's also, it's like, you know, we look at Instagram, we look in the world, we look at all these people who have been really successful and we probably assume that they didn't have the same mind trash to clean out that we have had to clean, that we are having to clean out, but that's not true. They're maybe just a little bit further along the journey than we are. So the shame really doesn't have any place, right? Like it's all a journey. And as one of the groups I'm in, this lady says, new new level, new devil, right? Like you you clean out the trash at the level that you're at now and you go to the next level and there's going to be some more. And that's okay because you're going to work through it. You're developing skills along the way and you're going to use those same skills and, and move on to the next one and repeat the process over again. Yeah, absolutely. So the mindset is super important. So after mindset, like what's the next thing that people 
need to start thinking about? Yeah, the next the next step is really before diving into strategy, it's really like reevaluating your skill set. And, you know, especially as entrepreneurs, like everyone has some kind of career history, right? And everything that you've learned in your career is transferable to entrepreneurship, right? And I think sometimes, you know, we forget that they're transferable and like a lot of my clients will, will feel like, well, I'm jumping into a new industry. Like I, ha- I don't have experience in tech or I don't have experience in this, right? Instead of looking at like, but you have experience in project management and you have experience in mitigating risk and anticipating customer needs. Like those are all key things. And we focus so much on experience, um, sorry, on um, whether we have experience in that industry versus like what kind of experience do we have to leverage? And this is key for, like you mentioned, when you're negotiating contracts or different thing, it's really important to think about what you bring to the table, how you add value to the person you're working with and seeing how you can exchange different, like maybe value added services for a reduction in cost or, you know, really rethinking it because there are other ways that you can kind of negotiate prices outside of like the price itself. Absolutely. Yeah. And really focusing on like what value, what kind of value add or One of my favorites is recognizing, let's say you're working with someone and you're working on a contract and you see that they may, maybe they need some help in their, let's say social media. Like they just, they need a little bit more right on their social media page. And let's say you happen to be someone who is a social media strategist that is like your jam and you're really good at it. You can actually include that as like a way to offset the price and whatever contract. And it's like being able to showcase like, Hey, like, have you thought about driving in more uh, more people to your page, like building your audience? These are some strategies I can help you get there and like having that conversation. So those are like some really great things that I love to like talk about because it's not all just in like the salary or in the monetary like contract. There's so much outside of that that you can negotiate. Yeah, I, I love that. Two things are, are coming to mind. One, especially in the beginning of entrepreneurship, you know, a lot of us don't start out with like a bank of 100K to put into our businesses. And so, and we need services, we need things, right? So to think about that barter system again, well, what skill do you bring to the table um, that you can, and what do you need or want from somebody else? What skill set do you need and how can you negotiate around that? Which often is time, right? And, and product, and that's okay. You know, it doesn't all have to be for money. But you do want to be careful about that because you don't want to end up giving away because at some point you got to make money in your business. So you just want to be, you know, you just want to be cautious and think about like, when do you need to actually get paid versus in money versus getting paid in the service? And um, when you were talking, it made me think of the phrase, we're not, we don't start over, we're starting from wisdom. So for the folks who were thinking about like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, doing a new industry or I, you know, I was a teacher and now I want to open up this bake shop because that's my passion, but I have no experience. No, no, no. You're not starting from scratch. You're starting from wisdom because every experience you've had in your life has prepared you for this moment. Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing I was thinking of too, is one of my, one of the members in our transcend community. Um, she is a speaker and a coach for executives, for women in corporate America who are looking to continue to rise up the ladder. And she was, she either contacted a group or they reached out to her and asked her to, to do a training or a workshop. And then they said, and it's for their uh, employer resource group. So they're their API employer resource group, right? And they said, yeah, but we don't have any money. So could you just do it for free? And it, and it, like, she's gotten to the point in her entrepreneurship journey where she's like, no, I'm actually bringing value. And the person said, well, these other people have done this talk for free. And she's like, yeah, one person was promoting their book. 
One person was doing something else, right? Which that was enough value for them. But I'm giving training to your employees who are going to receive immediate value. And we were kind of sitting there together about how to renegotiate that if it's true that they don't have money, what in this agreement, if anything, would make her feel comfortable moving forward, right? And so I said, well, think about some alternatives. You know, it's probably not enough to just say, oh, will you get exposure to all of our employees? Right. You know, but like, and and it was beautiful to see that she was just really leaning into understanding what she brought to the table and what was going to be worth it. Yeah, there's a whole group of employees, but also company who's supposed to be supporting these API employees. You also need to support the API lecturer or, or trainer that's going to come in and, you know, give value immediately to folks. So thinking outside the box and all that stuff is super important. Absolutely. And I feel like it's so important to one of the things I teach people is like to walk away from offers. You know, I feel like that's huge. And we could kind of touched a little bit on it about like the fear of like, what if this is, you know, we just need to make sure that we're safe. Like, what if this is the best that I get? I'm not sure if there's another opportunity coming along. And it's scary, but teaching people to say no when it doesn't serve them. And I teach people this because when you learn to say no to things that don't serve you, you welcome in opportunities and offers that do support you and serve you in the same way where like maybe the person in your group like decided not to move forward. And I'm sure that they had other opportunities come up that were paid speaking engagement or, or you know, lectures that they got paid for. Right. And it sets the standard. It sets the standard for you. And it also tells anybody else that that company may talk to them about that, you know, this person, yeah, they're, they're great. You're going to have to pay them though. And you're like, okay, that's, <laughs> everybody should know you got to pay, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think also what you said too, about those learning how to walk away, like, oh, like I even felt that in my body, right? Because I had said at the beginning of the year, I'm not doing anything else like legal wise besides transcend. Like everything I do is going to be bringing people into the membership. And I kid you not, like two days later, someone was like, can you form this LLC for me? Me and my partner need, you know, an operating agreement. And I was like, okay, fine. And then the next day I was like, dang it, Asha, you said, (laughs) you'd put your intention out there. And then you were tested the very next day and you failed. (laughs) And then I had to talk myself back down because it was, you know, it was fine. I did it. But I was like, you know what? Set your intention, follow through, but then also quote unquote mess up. I don't even know if I want to call that a mess up, but if you go back on it, like don't beat yourself up, you know, just remember how it felt. Was it okay? Was it not okay? And then continue to move forward saying no to the things that you don't want to say no, that you don't want to say yes to and saying yes to the things that you actually do want, biting those in. Absolutely. And I feel like I had something similar happen into last year. Like I was like, no, I'm going to only take clients who are like willing to put in the eight weeks. You know, that's how long the program is. And I was like, no, I need people who are willing to work on the mindset and spend those eight weeks really cultivating the skills. And then I had someone reach out to me and they're like, yeah, I have to negotiate like in two weeks. You know, and I was like, ooh, like I knew in my body that I was like, it is not what you. Hey, family, I am so thankful that you are here listening to Transcend the Podcast. And thanks for letting me interrupt you for just a second. I want to tell you about my new quick, easy download for you called the Build Wealth Roadmap. Now, I've taken my years of experience as an attorney, as a business coach, and as an entrepreneur, and just my life experience in general, and broken down the steps that you need to take to actually use your business to build wealth. I want you to know where you're trying to go, and more importantly, how you were going to get there. So go ahead and go to transcendthemembership.com slash roadmap 
and download my free wealth building roadmap guide for how you can use your business to build wealth and also just that life freedom that we're all striving for. So head on over to transcendthemembership.com slash roadmap and get your roadmap today. You said you wanted to do, right? And I ended up taking this client and it ended up like not working out, but it was like a perfectly, like a perfect way that the universe, like just, it just didn't work out in a really great way. Like both myself and the client were still like very happy, but it was just a reminder of like, stick to what you want. It's okay to say no. Like, you know, you want to work with a certain type of person, like, and that's okay. Right. And then I think it was more out of fear of like, well, what if I don't have someone who wants to work with me for eight weeks? Right. And I feel like the next week I had like three different people who were like, yeah, I really want to focus on the mindset and I really want to spend the time. And I was like, okay, the universe is like reminding me, like you got my back. Thank you. You know? Absolutely. And I think that also speaks like to the value of being in community with folks who have been in similar situations and can like help you walk through that. Right. Like I've had situations like that before too. My friends like, just hold on, you know, or when I'm like, I don't know, I need to do this. I need to do that. Like I have a couple of friends that I call and they're like, okay, just take a deep breath and like, let's, you know, think about this. And is this really what you want? Don't make that decision from that fear place, but make it from a, a place of like power and openness to actually call in what you want. So yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So mindset, and then thinking about what are, what are the things that maybe besides money that you might want, or what's the outcome? Is there another step that comes after that in terms of coaching folks? Yes. So we talked about mindset. We talked about things outside of salary. And then going from there, it's like really piecing together the negotiation, like knowing when, when these items like come up. And it's interesting, but the number one place where people undersell themselves on salary is actually in the application. There's usually a section that says desired salary. And what happens is people like they really want the role and then they think, oh, I don't want to ask for too much. Like I want to get interviewed. So I'm going to kind of like bring that number down. And that's the first place that people, you know, kind of like undersell themselves. So doing salary research is so important for understanding getting an idea of what the market bears, but also those numbers are kind of like they're subjectives. They're not always set in stone. And I think people look at those ranges and they're like, that's all they're going to pay, which that's like more of like a suggestion. But so I teach my clients to shoot above those ranges. And then we really focus on learning how to quantify like how, why they merit that kind of salary, like what in their experience, what in their careers, what in their skills, even intrinsic skills, like being able to motivate a team, being a good communicator, those are, are not things that I guess they could be taught, but a lot of them are very intrinsic, like natural. They come to you so naturally. And they're like the feminine skills. They're more like softer skills that often aren't valued in our society because we're so oriented towards the masculine do, do, schedule, be in charge, power, that kind of stuff. I like that you pointed that out. And I think in, you know, the Black and Latinx community, we are like very community like focused, you know, like we really do know how to make people feel like part of the family, part of like, you know, and that is like, that is huge. That is literally like, you know, team building skills. That is literally building a culture that is inclusive and feels like you matter, right? And that is so key for like company culture, especially in corporate America. And I think people almost like players almost assume that that's like, that should come for free, especially in our communities. Like we know how to facilitate and foster that kind of environment and we should get paid for that. Right. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we've all seen people who are skillful, but you don't want to work with them. You know, and then you've seen people who you absolutely love and adore who may not be as skilled that you're like, okay, because skills are trainable, right? But those things like in terms of fostering community and making people feel welcome, it's kind of, you can improve, but you kind of either have it or you don't, right? And they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but certainly like, let's not undersell ourselves from that standpoint as well. So I read this book a couple years ago. During the pandemic, actually, I listened to it on my drive back from Portland, Oregon, down to the Bay Area. And it's called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And it talks about working in our zone of genius. So there are four categories. One is the zone of genius. Two is the zone of excellence. Three is the zone of competence. And I'm, I can't remember the fourth, but I think it's probably like the zone of incompetence, I'm assuming, right? You definitely don't want to be in that zone. But it talks about like our zone of excellence is that combination of things that we love to do. It comes easy for us. So we love to do it and it comes easy for us. The zone of excellence is, so that first one is zone of genius. We love to do it, it comes easy. Zone of excellence is like, we're pretty good at it. It comes pretty easily, but like maybe we don't love it. And so we're like, we can do it and we're decent at it, but it's not like, yay, you know, you wake up every morning, can't wait to get to it. So of competence is just stuff that you're good at and it's not, you know, not, not excited about it, but you're decent, right? So most of us, according to the author, are working in our zone of excellence where we are good at something, but it's not necessarily something that we love, but we're so used to it because of mindset or thoughts like, well, work is work. It's not supposed to be easy, right? Nobody says, our parents will say, well, I went and worked a job for 30 years that I didn't enjoy every day, but I had to put food on the table, right? And so we're conditioned in different ways from different sources to think that work has to be hard. And so we don't think about or think it's possible if we're even aware about this zone of genius. And we often discount those things that are really easy for us. So like for me, they're like you were just saying, making people feel welcome and invited. That's easy for me. That's just a part of who I am. Like I love to host parties at my house. It's always a diverse group of folks. Everyone has a really good time. And it's like this unlikely group of people, right? But everyone has a really good time. That's easy for me. And then my friends can't necessarily, some of my friends can do that, but not, you know, we all have a different skill set, but I dismiss it when people are like, oh, that was so great. You know, I'm like, oh, whatever. It like didn't take any effort on my part. Right. And so I'm wondering how many times or how often this comes up either in entrepreneurship or working for somebody else where we undervalue the stuff that is easy for us, the stuff that's really in our zone of genius, because it is so easy. So it doesn't feel like work. And then we don't think about either charging somebody for it. We don't think it necessarily adds value because it's not, it doesn't feel like quote unquote work. Do you see that come up with the folks that you're working with? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's why it's, it's so much fun to walk them through like why it's so valuable, right? Because like, I'll just kind of sit and listen to like really understand their role, what they do on a day-to-day basis. And every time I go in, I go in knowing like, I know their resume does not uh, have everything that they do on a daily basis. Like I already know that, right? And once I start to learn about like all the different things that they really actually do, and a lot of it tends to be outside of like their role, right? But they see an opportunity, they see a need, and like they want to make, they want to help the company they're working for succeed. So they take on this like work, which is like awesome that they're go-getters, but also this is like kind of where we tend to like work for free, right? And being able to identify like what you're good at and how it brings value is almost like the prerequisites in order to like feel good about asking for to get paid for that work. And the way I love to frame it is like it is a win win situation, you know, like they're not losing with and paying you for amazing work. 
And especially if that work adds value, that actually is going to make an impact in their revenue or in their business unit. And it's important to share that it's a win-win situation. And I think many times when asking for more money at work, it's really finding concrete examples of how you add value to the business unit. And like, I feel like that is so huge. And that's what really makes it like almost like a no brainer for the employer to be like, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like, yes, let's update your job title and let's give you compensation that actually reflects what you do on a day to day basis. Right, right. And nobody's going to do that for you. Most times nobody's going to do that for you if you can't do it for yourself. Absolutely. I think we need to do that just in general. I think that would be a fabulous exercise. Maybe I would do that with my transcend group, you know, just to like write down your list of skills and just just to spend some time sitting with yourself, you know, recognizing what it is that you bring to the table. Because again, I never look back and think about what I've accomplished and, you know, what skills that I bring to the table. It's always looking forward about what I want to do next, you know, and what I need to develop to get to that, that next phase. But I think it's important in life in general. What are you bringing to the relationship? And not from like a conceited, like, oh, I'm so good, but really recognizing your value so you can recognize when a situation no longer serves you, right? Or when you need a greater response, you know, I'm trying to make it apply to not just work, but relationships, you know, whatever situations, you need a greater response, even if it's not money from the other side of that negotiation, because you understand and value what you bring to the table. But if no one's going to value your skills more than you do. So you got to do it for yourself first. And one thing is the one thing I love to tell people to do is what happens is when you say like, okay, like, what do you do? Like, what are your skill set? Most people are like, uh, I'm not sure, right? And so I love to tell people, I'm like, reach out to like three of your closest friends and ask them like what they love about you. Ask them like what they think you do really well. And then most times, like that's where a lot of the information comes from. And then your friends will see you for like all that you do because they don't have the, the internal mind trash, right? When it comes to like you, like we all have our own mind trash about ourselves, but our friends see us through a lens of like no judgment, right? And they really are able to like captivate and really quantify like how you're amazing, how you're dope, how you add value. And so I love having clients do that because it really helps them see like how dope they really are. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're so dope. Everybody's so dope. We just need to walk in that and celebrate that because, you know, we haven't we haven't been taught that it's okay to bring our full selves to the table and, and to celebrate who we really are. But we are absolutely dope people doing good things. So, you know, let's walk in that light and that sunshine. So I got a, I got a couple more questions for you around like your own journey into entrepreneurship. So how did you decide that, okay, I'm done with engineering or maybe you're not done with engineering, but how did you decide to break into this entrepreneurship space and negotiate or coach women or women or BIPOC, the BIPOC community on salary negotiations? I'm not sure if it's exclusive to women or not. No, I do like, yeah, BIPOC community, women. And I love that you brought up the um, zone of excellence and zone of genius because, you know, you're right. Like most people are operating in zone of excellence. And I found that I was operating in a zone of excellence where like I am an excellent like engineer, manufacturing engineer, like working in these different spaces. I'm very great at process optimization and all that good fun stuff. But I definitely felt like there was something missing and I couldn't really put my finger on it. And, you know, I started to really think about like, what is my zone of genius? Like, what am I like really great at? And I love doing, right? And for me, it's like, 
I love helping, you know, Baha communities. I love helping communities that have maybe haven't always been served, right? And I want to help build generational wealth. And that's kind of like, it's it's something that I'm very passionate about. And then I thought I started to think about, okay, what can I do that can actually make an impact, that can help people's lives, right? And that's where I started to think about, like, I used to, during the pandemic is when I kind of like, started this like creative journey of like, I started to get really good on like my personal finances. And then I started to be like, you know what, I I wonder if my friends where they're at on their journeys. And I kind of started this like monthly or biweekly meeting that I started to have my group of friends over like personal finance over like, what are what is our debt? Like, let's be real. Like, let's put all our cards on the table. And like, how do we knock this out? And it was crazy because we met like for a whole year. And during that year, you know, a lot of my friends, I was able to help them get them out of debt and pay off like a big portion of their student loans and save up emergency funds. And one a big part of that was I realized none of them had really executed a salary negotiation. Most of my friends are um, black women and le- like from the Latinx community. So I was like, I'm not letting this happen. Like we're going to start doing this. And I essentially kind of started coaching them through it without realizing what I was like starting. And I remember like they started to like negotiate like $37,000 salary increases and like $20,000 salary increases here and there. And I realized like the impact I was making. And one of my friends was like, I feel like you should start, I don't know, like a podcast or like a coaching business. And at first I was, I don't know, like it's one thing to work with your friends and it's another to like offer the service to people. But that's kind of what kind of she planted the seed in my mind. Um, that was my my best friend and my roommate from college. She planted the seed in my mind. And I kind of got to a point in my career was I, I was having a hard time like waking up and feeling motivated, right? I understand. I've been there. And that's when I started to realize, you know what, I do think I can make an impact. I do feel like I have the skill set and I'm able to translate my engineering background to create a business that is, you know, optimized and lean and you know, being resourceful and really spending money where it matters, right? Especially like you mentioned, like I didn't have like a hundred grand to invest in this. I think I had legitimately like a thousand dollars, you know, not very much. And I just kind of started with like using my engineering brain to be like, okay, where can I be most effective? Where can I make the biggest impact? Where does it make sense to spend my like marketing dollars or like company dollars, right? And that's kind of what started to help me like kind of pitch or pivot, if you will. And I actually did leave my engineering job. I kind of just got to a place where it was just using so much of my energy that I needed a break. I needed a break. And during that break is when I kind of launched the business. And that was nine months ago. So that's congrats. Yeah, it's been it's been fun. It's been challenging. It's been very challenging. I'd say more challenging than anything. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And a lot of it is like you talk about like that, like mind trash. And I remember being a couple months ago, I was like, so stressed out over like, how am I going to pay my bills? I remember like, it was like summer or fall last year, I was like really laying in my bed, sleepless, and realizing that like all the thoughts that were going through my head were fear based. And so I got on my phone and I like looked up the definition of fear. And I realized that like fear is something that we all feel. But I never took the time to understand what fear was until I like kind of like took some time to Google this definition. And the definition of fear is an unpleasant feeling based off the perceived threat. That is what fear means. And I realized that like all my mind trash that was sitting with me as I'm trying to sleep 
was all a perceived threat, which was like not being able to pay my bills. Right. And I realized like that is not real yet. I'm legitimately stressed out and a little fearful out of a situation that is not real. That hasn't come yet. Yeah. And it's realizing that like, if I want to be successful, like I really do need to, I'm allowed to, you know, have fear, but I'm not allowed to operate on fear. Right. And that was like, I think a big mindset for me. And I think just for me thinking worst case scenario, worst case scenario, what happens if like, I can't pay my bills, right? And then for me, it was, well, then I go get an engineering job. That is the worst case. And once I allowed myself to like, okay, I have a plan for when I hit worst case. And so like, let's not even worry about that until we get there. And I feel like that was a huge shift in like in my business because I went from like, oh man, am I gonna like, is this gonna work? You're like, we're just gonna commit. And if it doesn't work, like I, I'm confident that Evie will figure it out. Right. Absolutely. And, um, but yeah, that's like hard to do. It is hard. It is hard. And fear takes a lot of energy. I mean, it does. Right. And so I think we are just kind of taught to like push it to the side and not deal with it. But again, fear is our brain's way of trying to keep us from that worst case scenario or or keep us safe from something that is unfamiliar. And oftentimes unfamiliar gets put like back in our cave people days. Right unfamiliar was a threat to our life. Our brains haven't evolved enough to understand that unfamiliar doesn't necessarily mean life-threatening. So our response and our nervous system is the same. If we, you know, are pretty similar, it's that fight or flight response. If we see like some bear or think about not being able to pay bills, it's that same response in our body, the heart racing and shortness of breath and all of that stuff. And so being able to walk through those scenarios, well, what is the worst case? And what would I do? Or my friend the other day was like, okay, well, what are the things you think could go wrong? And I, and I finished the sentence. I was like, yeah, I just play those out. Right. He's like, no, don't just play them out, but think about what could go wrong and what support do you need in those areas to try and prevent them from going wrong? I was like, you're a genius, <laughs> you know, like just different ways of thinking about these things so that you're not just ignoring fear and trying to feel like it doesn't exist, but you were recognizing, okay, there is something that's uncomfortable about this. And let me see what I can do to make myself more comfortable and not I won't say waste energy, but not expend more energy than is absolutely necessary on this thing that is a potential worst case scenario, but is not my reality just yet. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like the act of you like reaching out and like having that like conversation in itself is huge because sometimes we just like live in our own minds and then we don't want to share our fears or what's going on or stresses with people, especially because I feel like sometimes we feel like, oh, I don't want to like share that I'm stressed or worried because like everyone sees me as like that entrepreneur, like they're making it. And I'm just like, you're successful. What do you have to be worried about? Right? Exactly. So it's so important to have people that you can like share these with because they're going to be able to like help see like, Hey, like, well, have you thought about like who you, who you have in your support system to help you like address this? Right. And it's like, it's like our minds are so set on like the perceived threat part of it that sometimes it's hard to like work through it unless you have someone else to like help mediate those like thoughts. Right. And you have to find the, the right folks, right? Like I, I, my mom is a huge supporter for me. She lives in a more more fear-based, you know, mindset than I do. So when I am feeling insecure about something, and job security for her was working for the same school district for 39 years and like that work. We don't have our society is different now. I, I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone who's worked for the same job for like 
five years at this point you know, at my age, 38, right? So, but when I'm feeling insecure about something, when I'm taking a step out and I'm and I'm unsure, I know that I need to call somebody else, not my mom, because she is also, she's worried about my safety. And so her advice and her support is going to be geared towards keeping me safe as opposed to let's work through this and think about worst case scenario. So then I have another set of people that I can call who, who have those skills and that practice and who aren't as tied to me. So they're not, you know, emotional like I am about it. They can actually look more objectively and help me work through that process about the next scenario. So it is really important to find that community that can help you walk through those entrepreneurship steps. And it's often not going to, it may not be the people who are in your family, especially if they haven't done it before, because they're also going to try and keep you safe. Absolutely. And I, I love that you say that because it is that's why I love like interacting and finding other people of color entrepreneurs because it's just different. Like it's I've been in spaces of entrepreneurs in general and it's a different vibe, right? And it's so important to surround yourself around other people that like maybe have similar experiences and are also maybe seeing have been in your footsteps five years ago, right? But and they're ahead. So that way they can actually give you advice that is gonna help you get through whatever you challenges you're facing. And I love that you say that because our friends or families love us, but unless they've like done the entrepreneur kind of thing, it's it's hard to explain. And like, if you haven't been through it, it's just difficult to offer support. It's because it is a different like like mindset, right? Different mindset. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw some, I, don't, I won't say the stat. Well, I think it's like 8%. I should double check that before I just throw numbers out there. But there's, I think it's like 8% of Americans are entrepreneurs or I mean, it's a really, really small percentage. And once you jump into this entrepreneurship world, you join groups of entrepreneurs, you make friends who are entrepreneurs, you know, you start to self-select and choose your circle. And so it's easy to forget that not everybody has that entrepreneurship mindset. Right. And so it is really important to seek out intentionally those communities of entrepreneurs to support you as you go. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of community, if folks want to get in touch with you, Evie, how do they do that? Where should they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at La Mala Mujer blog. And you can also find me on my website, which is lamalamujer.com. And for context, um, for those that maybe don't speak Spanish, La Mala Mujer translates to the bad woman. And I chose that because growing up, I would constantly hear the phrase, no seas mala, which means like, don't be mean or don't be bad. And usually I was told this when I was like enforcing boundaries or like saying my truth. And I felt like, oh, this is like, like, I'm going to own that kind of like saying, because it's like, I, I want to speak my truth and I want to enforce boundaries. And I want to make that almost like a normalized concept, which is kind of like the basis for this like salary negotiation, like group coaching program that I run. So thank you again for having me. This has been so much fun. And I love all the conversations that we've had. And yeah, I, I can't wait to see like more on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. I love it. Thank you so much for uh, jumping into this podcast with me. And thank you for sharing yourself as well, like your personal story, as well as your skill set. And of course, the story behind La Mala Mujer. We should all be Mala Mujeres as far as I'm concerned. So I love that. Yes. Thank you, Evie. We'll see y'all next time. Alrighty. Sounds good. Take care. Hey family, I am so thankful that you are here listening to Transcend the Podcast and I just want to make sure you know the best way to stay in contact with me and that's through joining my email newsletter. 
So please head on over to the wilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter and join the list. I will tell you everything over there from what my offerings are to bits and pieces of information about how to grow and scale your business to self-coaching all the way to giving you updates on what the new podcast episode is. So don't hesitate. Go do it now. The wilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter. Thanks.